Well, the haters gonna hate, 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 and the fakers gonna fake, 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 baby. I'm just gonna make, 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 making luck, making luck. A Dominion podcast. So, um, that reminds me of how a lot of video game. Uh, FPS video games will rationalize their shield mechanics because they're like, okay, you have this armor that blocks bullets, but if somebody runs up to you and stabs you with a knife, you just die. And that's really just a mechanical balance thing because the knife needs to be as powerful as the guns. But um, the way they rationalize it is, well, your shields only turn on if the bullet is moving, if the thing is moving at a certain speed. So they only block bullets, but not the knife. Um, And it sounds like that's starting to happen in real life with this this uh that seems like a crossover simplification but sure (laughs) sure i mean welcome to making luck welcome to making luck (laughs) a gross oversimplification podcast yeah i'm wondering i'm adam we're done discussing fluids we like to get into dominion occasionally Uh, yeah this is great (laughs) Yeah. So, so uh Wandering Winder. And I, today we are here to discuss a kingdom. Uh yeah, we're gonna do that and we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. It's episode fifty five of Making Luck. Woo! Isn't that great? Yeah, nobody even thought we were gonna be alive this long. And we did it <laughs> and we made fifty five episodes of a podcast. So so here's the thing. We actually have already made 56, and this would be the 57th. But because of the numbering that we've used, there are two half episodes. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So Uh, don't worry about that. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, the point is, this is episode number 55, and that's really the important thing here. Uh, We're going to celebrate by having a special episode, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but there, there are a couple of announcements that I wanted to get out of the way before we move on to the kingdom that we did last time. Announcement number one, uh, the, the episode that's going to be after this, number 56, it may be published a day early because of the holiday. Uh, Christmas Woo! is on Tuesday, which is normally the day we publish, and I've got family coming in and down. I don't want to deal with any of this on a Tuesday, so I'm probably just going to publish this thing and thing on a Monday. Uh, don't hold me to that. Uh, and then the episode after that is probably going to be a mini-sode because I've got a whole bunch of family and friends visiting over the next, like, two weeks after that. So uh, that's a sneak peek at what's to come. And uh, then there is – there's finally, for me at least, there is a piece of feedback we got on the forums from AR Flutter. And it just made me so happy. I wanted to at least uh, take a nod to this. So um, uh, AR Flutter said, well, Governor has three modes, two payload and one deck control. And so uh, the idea was that since you're going to be using this for the, the payload modes early on because that was strongest, like the gaining of gold, right? The deck control mode wasn't really good for thinning, and so you don't want it early. And that's why we concluded that a lot of the times you have higher priorities on your first five, such as junking. And I got to I gotta be honest with you. Like, the whole payload and deck control context for that statement and leading you to that same conclusion, it just made me so happy that, like, someone, someone used payload and deck control, which are these constructs that I've been trying to make, you know, have things make more sense with. That, that actually works for Governor. And I was just so happy that, that AR Flutter posted that and, and it made sense. 
I was also so happy from a piece of feedback on the forums from AR Flutter, and that was that he posted that the favorite part of his episode was my comment about the word thrice, which is amazing. It's okay, objectively. Work. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to mention that, and I'm going to mention it again because thrice is a great word, and now I've mentioned it thrice. Nice. <laughs> All right. And you can never mention it again. <laughs> because that would just yeah. ruin the whole motif. Yeah, it there's would, not yeah. an equivalent word for four times. Yeah, rip. sadly. Hmm. So, uh, if, you, if you know of an equivalent word, yeah, leave a comment comments. in the comment section. No, yeah. no, we know this from Sans. It's twice. <laughs> of course. So it we is. had a kingdom last time. Yeah. Does one of you want to read yeah. the cards in that kingdom? Yeah. Let's do that. So. Last time Let's our kingdom was Overlord, Transmute, Transmute, Settlers, and Bustling Village. It's a split pile. Alchemist, Alchemist, Chariot Race, Masquerade, Mill, Priest, Governor, Mint. I don't know what you're doing, Jake. And, of course, the landmark tomb. <laughs> Once again, for our audio-only listeners, Jake's going to do it this time. We had Overlord. Transmute, Settlers with Bustling Village, Alchemist, Chariot Race, Masquerade, Mill, Priced, Governor, Mint, and we had the landmark Tomb. All right, so last episode was about Governor, and I think that Governor was pretty much the focal point of this board, given that uh, you need Governor in order to get more than one province in a turn. Would you say, guys? Uh, definitely, yeah. it was transmute. Um, <laughs> uh, transmute. But if we all ignored the transmute strategy, then yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Very the Governor good. Governor does tend to be the centerpiece of most boards it shows up in, and this was no exception. In fact, this was one of the stronger governor boards out there, and that came down to a few factors, not the least of which being Tomb. Uh, because yeah, it was, it was the, a little bit interesting, yeah. a little bit different from the typical governor board I found, in that you kind of didn't have time to do the full governor thing um, because of yeah. both Mint and... Well, mostly Mint. But... Um, <laughs> right. Uh, Governor Mint is pretty good. You can just draw cards like one or two times super early with your governors, and that gives you a hand with a whole bunch of coppers, and you mint it, and now you have a thin deck with some governors, and you just shove golds in it, and you are off to the races, man. Yeah. Last time I was advocating for opening Priest and Silver on 4-3 or 3-4, and I think that's pretty bad at least on four three mostly just because um you really want to get a big mint and you're not setting yourself up to do that with the priest and and silver um whereas getting that overlord on a three four is just like or on a four three excuse me is really setting you up for that big mint which is really important on this board um yeah it helps a lot super important and the thing is that if you're not necessarily ready to start doing that right away but like the overlord in the meantime is being played as priest which is the card that uh whenever you can play it as priest so and that's the card you want to be playing as often as possible anyway so if you have a real priest in the deck that's great too and if they collide you just do something else but the fact that you could uh maybe play priest twice as often in the first like couple of shuffles 
it really just speeds you up quite a bit, almost as much as the big mint does. Yeah. Five so, two was five two was the best thing because you want mint overlord, right? That's super yeah. Um, but two five, I think I liked overlord pay debt, and then agree that was strongest. Three four, you're kind of sad. I'm not sure whether you should go silver priest or overlord debt or I don't know exactly. I'm not a big fan of the masquerade, Adam. I think you're still a little bit higher on it, but maybe you want to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so there was there was there's still a little bit of disagreement here. I had previously advocated for a masquerade overlord opening and I got the chance to try it out a couple of times. I got to say, uh when you draw your overlord dead with every single masquerade play, it's pretty bad, and I will admit that. On the other hand, if that doesn't happen That's... to you, I think Masquerade is a fine card for the deck, and uh, I actually don't think it's that awful. Now, that being said, I think if you compare Masquerade Overlord to Silver Priest as an opening, I think it's really close. Yeah. The number of games we played, despite me playing of 78 games with Jake, uh, was not enough to figure <laughs> out what was actually good here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I I still am pretty I so I advocated originally for getting the masquerade with Adam, but I, I have kind of turned a turned my perspective around on that because I bought the masquerade one time and I thought it was terrible for the deck. Adam mentioned that it's fine if you don't draw your overlord dead every time, but like that happens and that well, sucks. And you, like, draw, you don't draw your overlord dead every time necessarily, but you're, you're priest's dead, your priest's dead. Yeah. You're, you're just the thing is that you could just have an overlord in the deck instead, and when you know that you are not going to draw things dead, you can play the overlord as masquerade, get the best of both worlds with none of the risk. So, so I, think... I don't think you put a priest in the deck if you get a masquerade. I think you build things quite a lot differently. You put some more treasures in the deck until you get your mint, and then the masquerade is no longer a good card for the deck. Okay. Sure. And I don't think I it's like that the bad. Priest. I no. I better than the masquerade. I I agree with that. It's just I think you want to get and tend to get the mint early enough that the point at which the masquerade is no longer good for the deck happens too early for me to actually want it i mean i, think well, I can close. see how you might disagree i think it's close yeah. and I, I mean i'm sure. not gonna say that i think it's that much better than opening something like priest silver or like overlord or some something else i don't yeah. think it's significantly better i just don't think it's significantly worse i don't if someone well, did that i wouldn't say they made a mistake i think it's a fine line to take but if we wanted if we wanted sure. to rank the opening splits i think it's just most money in, on turn one to least money on turn one. Like, 5-2 is the best, then 4-3, yeah, then 3-4, sure. then 2-5. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that the other thing to keep in mind about all these openers is we're talking about which ones we thought were the best, but these were all good enough that doing any of them set you up for success in the long run to some degree. They, they put you off to a different kind of start, and you might have a different kind of speed in the first few turns, but like all of these were pretty good. There's a lot of yeah. good stuff to do from there on the board and whether or not you win the game is not going to be determined by which one of these openers you take in, in general, right. I'd say. I'd agree. I think that's pretty fair. Um, occasionally I got a second mint, which felt good in a couple spots and felt 
not so good in a couple other spots, uh, like in the mid game, I should say. Um, I know I talked towards the end of last time about maybe you get this big mint for points at the end, which um, seemed relevant in a few cases, like when the provinces were split, um, oh, like yeah. 4-4 province split. But otherwise, there were a few other cases where it felt like my best chance to come back, but it was like it turns a 2% chance into a 4% chance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's roughly the skepticism that I was talking about in the previous episode when but, you were mentioning But it was, pretty good. it was pretty good, like if the provinces were going to be evenly split. Um, yeah, I agree. Sure, all else all else being equal, maybe the mid could tie break, but I think we can also all agree that it felt really bad to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. you're losing so much of your deck's potential to win the game that, you know, it's Well I mean you know, like basically you said, by the time you're you a little bit less likely to lose, yeah. but not by much. So basically by the time you're doing it the game's almost over, so it's not that bad, but it, it doesn't sure. feel great. Um, yeah. Defensive trashing was a big deal on this kingdom because you probably had some yeah. threes that you could turn into mills and score points, some mills or priests that you could turn into duchies and score points, and like aggressively doing that, particularly with tomb out, you're trashing something like every time to a remodel. Yeah, yeah early on you yeah. turn stuff into governors, and yeah. Question was what do you do on your buys that are sub? So on a $4 buy, you get a priest if your deck can accommodate a priest, or you get a mill if not. But if you have less money than that, you are really just choosing between a chariot race, settlers, or silver. silver. I think the silver is the one you take the least often because you're except, getting silvers from your opponent's governors. Except in like the first few turns of the game, in which case silver is the one I usually yeah. wanted. Like turn one and two, at least. And for me, and I think that you're sure. going to take one of these two cantrips, and whether which one you take depend. Both of them do almost nothing. The chariot race points are not really that important. The chariot race money was fine, but the chariot race points were not that impactful when you compare it to the provinces and the tomb. I almost uh, think now, that the biggest impact of the chariot race revealing thing was knowing what was on top of each player's deck, which was <laughs> kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, I'm going to disagree. Like, I, I think Chariot I, Race was fine. I think, no, I, I mean... draw cards, what am I going to draw them? Oh. Then you play Chariot Race to find out. <laughs> but, I don't yeah, know. So no, the I mean, the, the, money is, the money is fine, and you would tactically play it sometimes. And, and, like, you play your Overlord as it sometimes. Occasionally, and but that was mostly because I didn't want to play my Overlord as something else for some reason. Right. Like, I didn't want to cause a shuffle or play a terminal. Now, I will say that the reason that I would take a Chariot Race sub $4 buy unless I hadn't minted yet. If I had not minted yet, I took Settlers instead because both of them do almost nothing. Um, they're fine cards for the deck, but they don't do anything. And so the Settlers may help you set up a better mint later. I'm going to take this value that is uh, a little bit of a long shot from the settlers as opposed to the chariot race definitely giving me almost no value so i mean it's, it's close i think but... i think that the settlers or that the chariot race isn't that close to no value and it's a pretty long shot so i think i don't know adam maybe you have a different uh, I think I another think overlord is better than all of that for setting up a min. I actually had some success eventually with like picking up a, a second overlord on turns like this on turn three or turn four, 
And yeah. I felt pretty good about doing that. Which turned out to be fine because, in a lot of cases, because the governors weren't running out. Yeah, um, and the more her, overlords you get, uh, the less likely the governors are to run. Yeah, if if you can if you can manage to do this without uh, hurting your chances to get a big mint, which is the big caveat, right, Adam? Uh, sure. Right. I mean, you have to play so it carefully, and it's not always on, good. I was usually minting on turn five or six latest. So, so you can have a six or seven, a turn six or seven mint, and. That's not unreasonable to do. I mean, you you figure out when it's good to draw and, and you have a shot at it. I there were, I, I happened like twice, and both of those times where I felt like getting the second overlord was good. Um, I didn't um, really feel like the debt was stopping me from sleep getting on a mint when I wanted. Yeah, don't sleep on playing your overlord as a settlers in very particular situations where it will help you mint. Yeah, yeah. one more copper into the mint, it's worth doing. Um, because those cop that's the only way you're really going to be trashing those coppers. Uh, well, because usually, or defense- sometimes you could like governor draw, but you don't want to draw them a card. And if the settlers is going to draw you your last card, yeah. which is a copper and then pick up a copper, then that's usually better. But right. But it's very so tactical there. It's, it's not like a, I'm planning on doing this as my game plan. Right. That's, that's something that you don't, uh, plan on setting up it's something that it's an opportunity you look for and then take it if you can get it because the the settlers picking up the copper was a lot more high impact than it usually is for yeah sure. so i think more than usual on this particular board i would recommend going to the youtube channel and watching the games that were played so there um there are actually a lot of videos there was a session between wandering winter and i that's uploaded on the adam horton zero one youtube channel uh, there's also a session between Jake and Wandering Winder, and both of their perspectives were uploaded. Uh, Wandering Winder uploaded yeah. his to his channel. That's Wandering Winder, obviously. And then uh, the Adam Horton channel also has a session with Jake. Uh, you can find links to all of this in the description of this video if you're a video listener. Or you can just head on over to adamhorton.com. There's links to absolutely everything, and which includes all of this stuff. I would recommend watching those videos if you want to learn more about Governor, because there are a lot of really interesting situations and a lot of really interesting calculations. So, like, knowing what to pay attention to and what goes into the decisions, when they happen, and all the information you care about, I think that's really useful and probably far more useful than just listening to this these broad strokes here. I mean, there's a lot of material there, but Governor's a meaty card. That 100%, because Governor is a difficult card to talk about meaningfully just because of what Adam just said. Like there's so much, uh, so much tactical consideration when you actually end up playing the card, you really need to see the thought processes that go into that and read the whole game state and watching games of that is really valuable from that perspective. Yep. Yeah. Three, two, one. So, for our Meet This Podcast episode, it's episode 55, and 55 is a very special number to me. It's my favorite number, and uh, in case you didn't know, the reason that it's my favorite number is, let's just say I hold a world record. Uh, so anyway, if we're going to compare this, uh, this meat portion of the episode to a food, I think we should compare it to Dum Dums. What do you think? 
I think that makes sure. a lot more sense than comparing it to something like popcorn chicken or popcorn shrimp. Definitely. <laughs> However, if we were comparing it to popcorn shrimp, it would be or popcorn chicken, it would be because what we're actually going to be giving you this episode is 55 little mini minisodes. So you've heard uh, are the minisodes we've released instead of episodes. These are mini versions of those. We're going through 55, 55 second uh, strategic dominion insights uh some of these are cards we're talking about some of them are concepts basically we just took 55 seconds to talk about something dominion related whether it's a opinion we have about a card or something instructive that we wanted to share and we hope you enjoy it yeah um originally uh there were going to be 55 hot takes but then we listened or talked to each other some and uh listened to the other ones so um, some of them we don't think are such hot takes, so they're more like lukewarm takes or <laughs> tepid takes and maybe not quite so hot takes. And some um, of them are just like pointing something out that you may not have realized. So that's more of a chill take. I would say that these are probably 55 takes of various temperatures. and, and clubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel sauce. like yeah. it's up to you, the listener – to judge what temperature each take is. So maybe uh, if you have an opinion on that, you can leave a comment in the comments section. Or maybe head on over to adamhorton.com. There's a forum, the blog, and you can link to the Discord channel where we certainly like to hear And you can tell how much Adam and Jake's takes are pants on fire hot. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my feet have been cold all day today, yeah. so maybe pants on fire would be a little welcome, yeah? Uh, I doubt it, but your mileage may vary. Um, also, we should mention that some of these are going to be on similar topics. So sometimes we'll be talking about the same card. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's the same topic that you're going to hear the same thing twice. No, because we did not coordinate on this. Oh, so no. we're going to have different yeah. things that we're talking about. And sometimes we go and disagree with each other. <laughs> that never happens yeah, on this podcast. Gonna... Well, no, that's not a big deal because, like, normally before we come to you with the episode, we have all uh, – or at least whoever's on it, we've we've done an outline together. We understand it's scripted beforehand. But these were all recorded independently and put together. So uh, there are aspects of this that are kind of, like, diametrically opposed to each other. Like, we, we're saying opposite things. and uh, But that's, I think, constructive as well. Hopefully you can get something out of that and decide – which one you agree with or why, or maybe if you think we're both right. Right. Yeah, so you can figure careful. out, you can yeah. figure out how Adam and Jake are wrong and how I'm always right. And um, <laughs> tell me how great I am in the comments. Ooh, if I'm, <laughs> nothing I'm, is I'm stopping great. you from doing that. <laughs> so uh, normally if Jake is outlining something and he puts something in his outline, that's hot garbage. I'll at least warn him that I'm going to call him out on his BS. Uh, but that that didn't happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, this time the garbage just came spewing right out, and it's going and it directly was into so your ears. Hot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I normally look at garbage like that, but you know, mm. <laughs> that was some hot garbo. Let me tell you. <laughs> so like another. It's hot garbage. Yeah, basically. Yeah, there we go. The hot garbage of Dominion cards or card-shaped objects. So another fun fact is that uh, these 55, 55 second segments, plus this intro that we're doing, 
uh, is all going to sum up to take 55 minutes and 55 seconds. So if you take away the kingdom analysis. I doubt that's going to work out. But I will be very impressed if it does. Through the magic of podcasting and Adam's editing skills and us doing this a few times to make sure that we get it right, it will work out, Jake. It what you, will. What are you talking about? This is I our mean, first no, we time doing this. this. Months. What are you talking about? <laughs> and yeah, we're definitely right. not trying to make idle conversation in the middle of this to fill up time. Because it definitely takes exactly five minutes and 55 seconds or whatever this is. I don't know. You mean five minutes and 30 seconds. Well, you know, same thing. Math is hard. (laughs) Everything should be a 55 this episode. You know, it's a celebration really of like almost a year of having this podcast revived. And, you know, even though we actually have done 56 episodes before this, this is number 55. And I think that's what's really important here. So, like, so I hope you guys enjoy thing- these takes. Some people think that Sacrifice is really good because it says trash on it, basically, I think. I don't really know why exactly. Um, but it only trashes one card at a time. And that's not very good. And it doesn't in a non-terminal manner, usually. So that's also generally not very good. It takes you a couple of shuffles before you're actually more thinned by having the sacrifice in your deck rather than having other stuff in your deck. Now, it does help you hit price points a little bit when it trashes copper, but not that much. So in general, it's not the worst trasher ever, cough, trade root, cough, but it's something that in a lot of cases, if it's the best trashing that's available, I might think about skipping trashing and just don't trash on that board. Um, more than most other trashers. Now, obviously, the big exceptions come when you can actually trash actions for good benefit, but usually you want your action cards because action cards are good, and why did you add them to start? Chariot Race. The first thing I want to say about Chariot Race is that it is overrated, especially getting it early is overrated. Usually, the best defense to an opponent going for Chariot Race is just to build your deck the same way you normally good would. Thin your deck. Put good stuff in it. Turns out that good stuff is usually pretty expensive, and when you thin out the cheap cards, you tend to not only win your own chariot races, but keep your opponent from winning theirs. If your opponent invested heavily in chariot races, and you're doing what I am telling you to do, which is thin and and buy good cards, you can really shut down their econ. And if you go for chariot races, you can have this turn where your opponent just has an expensive card on top of their deck, and your deck does, like, absolutely nothing. Remember, silver is a good card. You should buy that sometimes. It helps you get expensive cards to actually win chariot races. Donate is a really powerful card. And, uh, you know, it's probably up there, maybe the most powerful one in the game. I know it's not a card. It's a card shape. Great. Um, but I don't really like it all that much. It makes the game really puzzly and removes a lot of the luck. And uh, I think... Luck is really important to the game. I know there are puzzles where you can assume perfect shuffle luck, and those are interesting to me for a couple of days, but then I'm just over it, and I want to play some Dominion where new situations can happen that make me think. Donate kind of takes a lot of that away. You do all your thinking and puzzling before the game starts, and then you go and you see if you found a better solution to the puzzle than your opponent did. And, you know, that's fun a few times, but I've kind of had those few times, and I don't know, it's just not that appealing to me anymore. It turns Dominion into a game that isn't as fun for me. So yeah, I don't like Donate that much. 
So Peasant and Page start the Traveler lines, and these cards are considered extremely powerful and almost never skippable. And they are very powerful, and you usually can't skip them. But I think they're more skippable than a lot of people think. They're not never skippable. Sometimes it takes a long time for you to get your Traveler's far enough up the line to have uh, the big effect that you want. And if there isn't that much going on on the board, if there's not a way to play the Travelers fast enough, and if they don't have a big enough impact, it's very possible in a number of cases to be able to get out to a big enough lead by the time that uh, the Travelers take effect and the late-stage Travelers have their huge impact on the game, which they do. It's very possible that by the time that happens, though, you can have a big enough lead that it just doesn't matter that they're doing powerful stuff. They can't come back. Let's talk about Page and Peasant. Now, I realize that it's very meaningless to compare the two cards to each other and say one is stronger than the other, but hey, this is hot takes, so I'm about to do that. I think that Page is stronger than Peasant, and I always have. And I hear pretty much everyone out there saying that Peasant is stronger than Page. Now, whatever definition of stronger makes you happy, sure, that's fine. You're probably not wrong when it comes to that. However, I can pretty much never ignore Page. And Peasant is very, very slow. I think that a lot of the Travelers on their way there, with the exception of Disciple versus Hero, swing very solidly in Page's favor. And I just don't hear people agreeing with this. Uh, I mean, yes, the Travelers are very strong, and you can hardly ignore either of them ever. But when I ignore something, it's usually Peasant. It's usually because it's too dang slow and I cannot race it. That just never happens with Page. Yeah, I think Page is way stronger. Farmer's Market. Farmer's Market is a little weak as far as stop cards go. Its defining feature is that it has plus buy, so you compare it to things like Nomad Camp and Woodcutter. Uh, now, you'll usually want to take the points if you can get them when you're playing with this, uh, but that said, it's rarely worth holding back a Farmer's Market just because your opponent might get the points. Normally, taking the money is worth it. Another way to put it is that if playing the Farmer's Market helps you make a better deck, that's probably going to get you an extra province at some point, and six is more than four, or it's going to get you to the point where you can play a bunch of Farmer's Markets if that's what you want to do, and that'll give you more control over those, that points pile anyway. Now, do you need to get a Farmer's Market just because your opponent did to keep them from getting the points? Usually not, if you weren't going to get one anyway. In the end, you just want to build a little faster and only get the farmer's market if you need to buy. I want to talk about tournament, specifically the prizes and uh, which prize you should take as your first one. Basically, my main piece of advice is going to be to think about it. There are the big three, Followers, Princess, and Trusty Steed, that are considered, quote-unquote, the good ones. But definitely think about which one is best, because there's no definitive answer to it. Always take Trusty Steed if it's going to help you get another province that turn. Obviously, it's the only one that draws and gives you actions, so it might help you uh, redraw the province, etc. But the big thing I want to point out here is that I think people overrate followers a little bit, think about what that card is actually doing for you. It's junking both you and your opponent. You're coming out ahead, obviously, because you have the discard attack going for you, but are you coming out ahead enough to justify not taking Princess or Trusty Steed first? You want to think about that. So Tournament is a really good card, um, but that's mostly because it's a four-cost peddler. People have often said that, oh, a four-cost peddler would be balanced, but I don't think it would be that balanced. I think it would be one of, if not the best, four-cost. I mean, look at Poacher. Poacher is a reasonable card. It's not amazing, of course, because usually a pile runs out, and then it turns into Oasis. 
But if you just had a four-cost peddler, that would be extremely, extremely powerful. Um, I don't know that it would be game warpingly broken, but it'd be really good. Now, tournament obviously doesn't is unlike poacher, not strictly worse than four-cost peddler. It has pluses and minuses. The pluses are the prizes, which I think sometimes get a bit overrated. But the minus of getting your tournament blocked is a really big deal. And so I think almost maybe even more than the prizes is often a reason why you should try to get uh, province faster in a tournament game. Um, it just stops you from drawing as much or making as much money. It's a huge deal. I'm going to make a comparison between two cards, which I realize isn't very meaningful because they're both kind of strong. But I think Lost Arts is like a 10 out of 10. It's an amazingly powerful card. And Pathfinding just doesn't quite have the same effect. Why is that? Uh, I understand that, you know, putting an action on a card is a maybe in a vacuum a less strong effect than putting a card on a card, but um, there are a lot more cards that really want to have action put on them because you can do a lot more things when you're balancing a card when you just make it terminal and harder to play. Uh, that just doesn't exist for Pathfinding. Pathfinding requires non-terminals. And, uh, yeah, I mean, drawing lots of cards is super great. I'm not knocking that. But also this thing costs 8, and Lost Arts costs 6. Lost Arts just generally has a, a more significant impact on a board. And I see people rating Pathfinding higher than Lost Arts all the time. Lost Arts is insanely powerful. Because terminals are tough to play. Lost Arts can help you do it. People think that uh, victory point cards, or any source of victory points other than mostly, you know, like provinces or colonies in a colony game, or sometimes, you know, something like goons or dominate. People think all that stuff, I guess triumph people also like. People think almost all other sources of victory points are bad. Um, they're really important, though. Uh, even duchy is really important in a lot of cases, because usually the fastest way to get to four provinces is just to, like, bum rush blitz with some fast money. Uh, but that's often not very good in the long run. And it's precisely because there's other victory cards that are going to let an opponent catch up a lot more. If there were only provinces, or even only provinces and estates, then going for money would be good a lot more often than it is. When in reality, because the other stuff is around, uh, you have to play for not just bum rushing provinces. Distant Lands is very strong. I gave this a 9 out of 10 in the most recent ratings, and the mean seems to be around a 6. Why do people not like Distant Lands? Distant Lands is a lot of points, and it's a lot of points that don't make your deck worse. This is a huge, huge deal. Victory Point tokens are very similar in concept, but uh, a lot of the Victory Point token giving cards just don't give you that many VP tokens. Uh, Distant Lands gives you four points for just one shot, and all you have to do is draw and play the card one time, as opposed to VP token cards, where you might have to draw and play them multiple times to get that many points. Um, Distant Lands, I mean, it's maybe irrelevant if a deck can just barrel down the provinces without stalling. That's really, really hard and usually takes a lot of building. So Distant Lands just is a really important factor and scores you so many points in so many games. 9 out of 10, man. This is a really strong card. So Distant Lands, it seems really powerful uh, when you look at it, and it is worth a lot of points. And then you play with it, and you'll be surprised how often you find yourself skipping it. Why is that? First off, I want to say that just because you or whoever won your game skipped Distant Lands doesn't mean it wasn't important. 
when distant lands is out, you do need to build more. If you go to rush for provinces, somebody else can get points that come out of their deck and don't hurt it. So eventually you start to choke on provinces and miss one. Your lead equalizes out. Uh, they probably don't. So they uh, catch up to you in provinces, except they also have the distant land points. In practice, when both players understand that dynamic, they end up just building more in the first place and not missing province anyway. So the distant lands ends up not determining in terms of score, but it was still very important to the outcome of the game. People rush for junking attacks as soon as possible, and that's usually a good thing to do. But I think that delayed junking is quite underrated. Sometimes you don't want to get junking right at the start of the game, usually because thinning is good, and that might be a higher priority. And that makes sense. That's fine. That's good. But that doesn't mean that you can just ignore the junking throughout the rest of the game. Um, you can get it either at the same time, or you can get it later on. And people sometimes assume that, well, because the junking wasn't the best thing at the start, it's going to be worthless later. But it isn't always. And this is particularly true when the draw isn't very good. At that point, it becomes a lot harder to line up your thinner with the junk cards um, that you're trying to thin, and that's mostly because there's more good cards in the way that stop you from lining those things up together that you don't want to thin. So Wondering Winder is actually doing a, a video series about Rebuild right now um, that's got a lot of great points. I remember there's a little history of Rebuild. It first came out, it was OP, and then people learned to play the Mirror, and then now recently people are saying Rebuild is not that strong. And I think the main reason for that is because people are playing non-mirrors very, very poorly. When you are not mirrored in Rebuild, you have to end the game as quickly as possible, and that involves a lot of milling provinces. If you're not doing that, you're giving up pretty much every advantage you have. Like, yeah, you can win the duchy split, but <laughs> that doesn't freaking matter if you can't end the game super fast. And those points don't really mean anything when the other guy can get provinces, because they're still in the supply, because you haven't milled them. So... When you're playing Rebuild and the other guy's not playing Rebuild, pay attention. Get a lot of Rebuilds. Mill a lot of provinces and end the game before they can do anything. That's your main win condition, and that's why Rebuild's so strong. It still is. I just want to say I was wrong about Rebuild. When we did our Rebuild episode, I feel like we kind of suggested that Rebuild is kind of unbeatable. If you're pursuing it, uh, you're doing the correct thing, and that it is just a dominant strategy all the time you see it. That is not super true. It's actually not that fast of a strategy unless it draws pretty well and gets kind of lucky. It has a pretty low point ceiling and it has zero flexibility. It can't really pivot out of what it's doing if somebody else starts to catch up. So that's not to say that it's weak all the time. It's usually pretty strong to go for, but it's nowhere nearly as powerful as I think we implied it was. I'd compare going to rebuild for going for this strategy with salt the earth where you're trying to just salt all the province away, away so they can't win, except you can't back out of it the way you could with a salt the earth strategy. Let's talk about Sentry. Sentry is a fine card. It trashes cards, is a cantrip, and you don't have to draw the cards that you trash. So the effect is potentially very strong. And the problem is it costs five and you don't get control over what you're going to trash in almost every case. I hear a lot of people talking about Sentry like it's amazing and the best trasher. I think it's only really strong when you can open with it on a 5-2 or a 2-5. Past that, I think it's very weak at trashing. It's not very good at what it does. And it also can never get you to a super thin deck unless you're very lucky. I'm not that lucky. No one is. 
Sorry, sorry to burst your bubble. So, like, Sentry is, it's okay. I mean, it's fine. It has a decent effect. But, like, if it's the only trashing, I'm not excited about it. If I don't open with a five, I am not excited about this card. You have to get so many of them to get a halfway decent effect. It's just not that great. Black Market is a high skill card. It has a reputation for being random, swingy, and unpredictable. That's because it is. And yet, when we look at the data, we see it as a very strong predictor, uh, more so than other cards, that the more skilled, quote-unquote, player is going to win. That's because high luck is not the same thing as low skill. For one thing, this is a terminal payload card, so you need to support your deck to get the most out of it. You need to draw and thin, etc. This also rewards your game sense, quote-unquote, more than any card in Dominion, in my opinion. It gives you so many decisions to make regarding the deck composition that you're going for, the win condition that you're trying to pursue, whether or not it's time to start building, stop building and start going for it. And by the way, that luck in Black Market, it's everywhere in the game. It's just a little more subtle. So Black Market is a strong card. Sorry, Adam. Uh, it is a strong card because it effectively allows you to get all kinds of different payload that might not be available in the kingdom. I think typically if you're looking for it to be some deck control for you, that's often a losing proposition. But if you're looking for it to be uh, payload, and there's usually, you know, the payload could be better than strictly what's there, then black market's good. However, if you think of it this way, it's mostly a payload card. It helps you get more payload. And so it's not something that you need to open right away. I see people open with black market all the time, and I think that's usually not a very strong play. A delayed black market once you're starting to get towards drawing your deck together is, I think, usually where you want to be when you're going for that card. Uh, but people, I find, tend to get the black market way, way too soon. Um, there are a lot of concepts in Dominion that people have correctly understood over the time. Uh, money density, net draw... Um, pile control. There's all kinds of these things. Um, Duchy dancing, penultimate province end gameplay. All of these things that have developed over time, and that's really nice. But I, the one that I don't hear talked about very much, particularly anymore, is speed. Um, getting to having a super powerful turn is great, but it it's only really good if that's faster than having um, more slower turns earlier, if that makes sense. So the speed to get to your ultimate end goal, i.e. how you're scoring your points... Uh, is a really important factor. Um, and obviously it's affected by what your opponent does because they might be attacking you, they might be contesting piles. But actually being fast is a super important concept and one that doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. Merchant Ship. My most recent ratings gave this a 4 out of 10. I think that's really generous. I give this card a 1 out of 10. I've played thousands of games of Dominion, and I have never, ever, ever bought a merchant ship once and was happy with it. The problem is you're giving up an action to just get money. And there are these cards that you can play with every single game. They're called treasure cards, like silver and gold. These cards give you money without giving up an action to do so. So if I want to give up an action, I need to be getting a stronger effect than just money. And unfortunately, that's what merchant ship gives you. Now you might say, well, I get money at the start of my turn next turn. I don't care. That doesn't really matter. It's never really mattered all that much for me. And none of the synergies can, can justify a cost of paying $5 for a card that only gives you two now. Maybe two at the start of your next turn that might matter. 
So Sana Avanto has a reputation as being kind of uh, centralizing and very powerful. How much is it so really? So it's draw, it's trashing, and it's a village. If it's the only source of one of those, you are still going to want to go for it to some degree. It turns out, though, that mindlessly opening Sauna Silver and just pile-driving the Sauna Avantos is rarely the best way to go about it. You're usually better off with building your deck in almost any other way that's going to help you with that. Now, if it's the only trashing, you're probably opening that way unless there's some way to play fast money without trashing. If it's the only draw, Saunas are not a priority. You can often skip them entirely, just build your deck to hit 5 and get the Avantos. And if it's the only village, it's a little weirder. First thing to note is that it's really bad at being a village. You need 3 cards from the pile to get the village effect once, so it's kind of inconsistent. Dominion is a game where you shuffle cards all the time. I think we're predisposed to finding certain sources of luck that are easier for us to detect, but luck is everywhere in the game, in all kinds of places that you don't see. I mean, sure, you can find more places where you can put your skill into the game and influence the result, and, you know, the combination of these things is what makes Dominion a fun game to play, even after I personally have been playing it competitively for over seven years. Still my favorite game. The thing is, though, what it, what it really means is that you can't be results-oriented. If you played better in a game, that doesn't mean you necessarily won, or if you win, that doesn't mean you played better. Uh, I think you should always look for opportunities to improve the quality of your play, of course, but uh, the main point is that luck is really good for the game, and I think it's really good to embrace it and just realize maybe being results-oriented in a game with high luck is not the best way to get better. A lot of people think that Treasure Map sucks, um, and while it's not a great card, I think it's quite underrated. First of all, there's a lot of things now that help you line your Treasure Maps up, even if you just go for them right out of the gate. So, you know, besides just Haven, there's Courtyard, there's Gear, there's Save, there's all kinds of things to help you do that, for one. Um, there's all kinds of other things that I didn't mention there, so that's one thing. But the bigger thing is, once I get to the point where I'm drawing my deck, adding two treasure maps and turning them into four golds is often a really nice way to ramp up my payload very, very quickly um, and very efficiently. Um, and so I think this is kind of people just ignore the treasure maps, but it's often a good thing to get to in that point once you can uh, once you can take that that on and you're drawing your deck. So don't sleep on that. It's kind of like a windfall in in a way, and it can be very good. Cultist. Cultist is a little overrated in my opinion, at least the way that it tends to be used, that I've seen it used. Don't get me wrong, the chain of cultists junking you is still super oppressive in the absence of really good trashing, but straight up playing cultist money, it's not as unbeatable as often as people think. For one thing, it doesn't really establish good money density early. It's spending a lot of its buys on cultists, and if there's something that can trash efficiently, and it also has the payload to catch up on a province lead, it'll often destroy cultist money. And obviously, you can also play cultist outside of just chaining cultists and playing money, but at that point, it's a weaker card than witch. And don't get me wrong, witch is really strong, but it's not insurmountable. Cultist is not a card that you should be so afraid of so much of the time. So there are a lot of do-nothing kind of cantrips in Dominion. Um, Pearl Diver is obviously the most uh, famous one, but there's a lot of cards that are basically a cantrip with some minor effect. Um, from Oasis to Secret Passage to Pearl Diver to Vagrant to... There's all kinds of them, right? Um, and in some cases, the particular 
something that they do can be good. But I'm here to say that in most cases, these cards aren't very good. Um, they just don't do that much. So yes, you would rather have them than not have them, but you shouldn't go out of your way to get them. In particular, basically what I'm saying is silver is a really good card. And people are like, well, the silvers will get in the way. But usually you can build your deck to adapt to the silver. And uh, the cantrip isn't doing enough for you for it to be better. So don't get so many of these. People get way, way too many of these do-nothing cantrips. One of the things that I think is most important as you are just developing as a player, getting better at the game, is giving yourself permission to lose. Now, if you have that drive to get better in the first place, then you're probably pretty emotionally attached to your progress, and you should be. You need to be holding yourself to a really high standard, as high as you can. You need to be accountable for your own progress, but at the same time, understand that some failure along the way is inevitable. You are going to lose some games, and that's okay. You have permission to lose. You have permission to try new things. You have permission to play a deck you're not comfortable with, and you have permission to fail doing so. Remember that you need to give yourself that permission to lose so that you have room to win. That didn't make any sense. Windfall is amazing! I gave Windfall a 7 out of 10, and uh, I didn't give it something higher because it's hard to draw your deck, right? It's hard to actually trigger the event, but whenever you can, you pretty much want to do it. The mean for my last card ratings was about a 4.5, and I hear a lot of people talking about how you don't want golds in a deck. Pro tip, if you are drawing your deck and you have $5 to spend on Windfall, your deck can benefit hugely from three golds. It doesn't really matter if there's draw or if you're just super thin. Both of these cases are really amazing. I think the worst possible thing for windfall in this particular case where you're drawing your deck is maybe you have a plan so that you can windfall next turn, and that's better. But you definitely want to windfall. If you can get windfall and get the golds, just do it or maybe do it next turn, and it's amazing. People will sometimes tr go for something that they think is a quote-unquote safe line. Um, as opposed to a quote-unquote risky line. Um, you know, for instance, they don't want to open Potion because if they open Potion for uh, Familiar or something, there's like a 40% chance, 35% chance that they're going to miss three Potion and they'll just be so far behind. But the thing is, if you if you play with the fear like that and you don't make this play because you might not get there, well oftentimes just playing worse. The real risk, the only really risky play, is to make a play that has a lower win percentage. So sometimes you don't want to take a quote-unquote risky line because you're very far ahead. But in general, you just want to take the line that's the best possible. And the only real risk is to take a bad line. I play a lot of games of Dominion with more than two players in them. And sure, I prefer two-player games, but three-player games of Dominion, they're pretty neat. They're pretty fun. There are dynamics that don't exist in two-player games, and in general, I think it's just harder. Uh, granted, there are more players, so it's harder to place first. And, you know, that's going to be harder to do just because there's more players. That has very little to do with the game. Well, the point I'm trying to make is you have to weigh strategies against a lot of different benchmarks as opposed to this is just better than big money. But you don't, 
you don't have to think in two-player games about how much worse your strategy is going to be when contested or how how much you can pivot into another strategy in case you decide what you need to do is going to change based on what other players are doing. I think it's a different layer of depth. I think it's really cool. And, uh, you know, just don't take the king-making too seriously. It doesn't come up that much. I just want to say I was wrong about Shepard. Maybe you have heard me talk about how bad I think Shepard is, how bad I used to think Shepard is, how you should never open with it, how the Shepard deck isn't a real thing. I was wrong kind of about all of that, and the more I've played with it, the more I've realized that you do, for this to be good, need copper trashing, and you usually need some extra gains to justify it. But if you have that, you end up with a deck that has similar speed and consistency to money, but has access to more points. It has a higher point ceiling. Uh, the way that you enable this is to get more green cards than you'd think for the number of shepherds you have. You need to make sure you manage your reshuffles very judiciously, but and things like uh, top decking, duration draw, and sifting are your friend. But if you have all that, again, you end up with a deck that's about as effective as money and has access to a lot more points. Draw to X decks are really, really weak. Drawing only up to a certain number of cards really inhibits the type of payload you use. It really hits the consistency of your deck, and it also makes it um, really hard to build, and usually the components are very expensive. Uh, draw to X decks are, are typically very weak, and if you can draw to more than X, uh, you pretty much always want to do that. And so for that reason, I think uh, pretty much every draw to X card out there, with the exception of maybe Menagerie, because X is unbounded in that case, is overrated. Uh, I think the biggest offender here is probably Cursed Village. Uh, I mean, it's a fine card. It's pretty great, but like, just give me a village and a smithy, man. I will draw the crap out of all these cards, and I will use these treasures that I can get a lot easier than these other virtual payload cards. So yeah, draw to X. Not a very strong mechanic to make some pretty weak decks. I do want to talk about Embargo. Embargo is actually, in my opinion, the most underrated card in the game. It's not extremely powerful, but it's miles better than people think it is. First off, uh, a silver that self-destructs when you play it is often good to just, well, occasionally good to just get out of your deck because it's not a stop card anymore. But the Embargo token presents a lot of strategic utility. You can embargo junking attacks to focus more on thinning. You can embargo duchies if you're ahead on provinces. You can embargo potion cost cards if the opponent buys a potion. Embargo cards you have more of than they do. You embargo alt-VP to focus on provinces. You embargo provinces to focus on alt-VP. If you are willing to put the thought into embargo, you can identify key times when to buy it and what to embargo as far as piles to get a real advantage. Lurker is an incredibly overrated card. Um, you can think of it as a workshop, but it's a workshop that you need two cards to, two plays to do. Of course, it's non-terminal, so that's not the worst thing ever, but eh. um, and it definitely has some combos, you know, there's some super expensive cards, there's some cards that do stuff when you trash them, so I'm not saying never get Lurker, but what I'm saying is, um, I view it kind of less as a workshop. It is a little bit like a workshop, but if you think about if the Lurker were a silver, which it usually can be, uh, then a couple of silvers, you can usually buy that five or six anyway. You don't have to have two plays of it, so mm, Lurker's a little bit slower, and it can also be blocked by one thing if your opponent does. Now, obviously, it does give some pile control, and so I'm not saying it's a bad card by any means, but 
What I am saying is uh, it's not that great of a payload card, and that's what it is. It's just a mild payload card. Cobbler is a really good card. My latest card ratings showed a mean rating of 4.5, and I gave this an 8. It's a huge disconnect. I think the biggest comparison to make here is Ironworks. You're gaining a card without spending an action. And, uh, I mean, Cobbler costs 5, but it's a bigger effect because it gives you the card to hand at the start of your turn, which is really, really amazing. I think the, the other comparison to make now is with Sculptor. I think the fact that people are really warm on Sculptor, and um, it's basically Cobbler, only just a little bit different, but pretty much the same magnitude of effect, shows that people have been really underrating Cobbler, but I don't know that that connection's being made. Uh, I understand that Cobbler is orange, but um, orange cards are really good because they can have strong effects at the start of your turn. And the fact that you need to buy two $5 cards to get four cost cards, I mean, they're at the start of your hand, so that's really stinking good. Ill-gotten gains is something that people have largely dismissed recently because they think of it only as the quote-unquote IgG rush, end quote. Um, I've ended the quote multiple times here, so eh, that's great. But basically, um, the ig rush where you're trying to empty all the igs, which also empties all the curses and then empty the duchies, that isn't that strong that often. If there's some way to deal with the curses, you can overcome it usually. But what I want to say is a tactical ig here and there is often a lot better than people realize. People don't consider it very often, but... They really ought to. Um, it's kind of like a silver in your deck. If you don't need the second money, you don't have to take the copper. If you do need the second money, that's not always the worst thing ever. Um, but being able to give them a curse while you're doing that is often really good, especially early on where it stops them from hitting their price points. Getting an ig or two is something that you should consider doing in your own games at various points. You don't have to go all the way and commit to getting all of them. You should play with cards that you don't like. The Obviously, you want to have fun, but I think that you have more fun with Dominion having a richer and fuller experience. You know how they say that you should try foods that you don't like every few years because your taste buds change? Your mental taste buds change, too. You should definitely get out cards that maybe you had a bad experience with sometime and, and just play with them again, either whether it's against them or with them. First off, you learn a lot about the game that way, and it's really good for getting better because it forces you out of your comfort zone. And the other thing is that you might actually have more fun than you think. There's always more to discover about these cards. You might find a new way to beat a card you don't like, or you might find that playing with the card is a little more engaging than you thought it was. So keep an open mind. Be willing to put the cards you don't like on the table from time to time. We need to talk about Mining Village. People seem to forget that Mining Village has that bottom text, and you don't want to sleep on that. The thing is that you can open with a Mining Village and a Silver instead of Silver Silver, and now you are much more likely to hit 6, you are more likely to hit 7, and you are more likely to hit 5 twice in a row, and you're... Uh, Really likely to hit six is the big deal. That's the most common one uh, that you would open with it over silver, silver. So the trade-off there with all of those is that uh, you don't get to keep it if you do that. So it blows up, but sometimes that's a good play if you want to spike early. Uh, more commonly, though, you're using it more conventionally as a village, but always remember that that option is there. Even when you need it as a village, if it helps you make your deck better, always consider blowing it up, especially if it's going to be the last turn of the game and it might help you win. Let me talk about card rankings versus card ratings. Recently, I've started publishing my results, my card ratings, by not ranking them. And I think that's very important. 
The idea that one card is next to another on the list, and it's better or worse than the other card, that's not the point. You need to consider the data that you're actually getting out of what the ratings or rankings are giving you. I think the only data you can really take is, these cards are consistently at the top, they're very good, for pretty much any definition of good. And then the bottom, they're bad, similar reasoning. So if you're going to look at the minute details instead of just these very broad strokes, you're going to find conclusions in there that mean absolutely nothing or that mean different things to different people. And when you have a conversation about them, nothing is really happening. So I think card ratings are the way to go for sure. And you need to make sure that you don't take any conclusions away from these that aren't really there. There is this perception out there that the Swindler as a card makes the game into a luck fest. But I don't think that's true. Um, so Swindler is a card where, yes, there is some randomness in what you flip, and that's a pretty decently high variance. But there's also randomness in just how your money comes together, how you draw, whether you get duds or not. There's a lot of variance in the game inherently. Swindler is also a high skill card, and that's the point I want to make here. Um, knowing exactly what to turn your opponent's stuff into is a, is a reasonable skill that a lot of people lack. Um, but also how you build your deck in order to maximize on the damage that the Swindler gives to your opponent while minimizing the potential damage that your uh, opponent does to you with their Swindler, as well as using it as some kind of pseudo-pile control. All of these things are important skills and really important to winning games with Swindler in them. Sauna Avanto is something that people just like, they see Sauna and they're like, well, I should open Sauna Silver. Um, I think very often, in fact, probably most often, you should skip Sauna. Um, while yes, if you get the big stack of all the Saunas and Avantos, that allows you to do really powerful things, it's drawing villages all in one, uh, eventually that deck can break down because you get enough other stuff that the stuff doesn't, your stuff doesn't line up anymore. That's one thing. But the bigger thing is you just go around it and get other stuff, and it takes a long time for someone who's going solo. This is the classic city trap. It takes a long time for someone who goes solo to get all the saunas and then enough avantos and in the meantime they're not doing that much so if you just play another reasonable game plan you might be able to outrace them going around them and have a big enough lead that even with their powerful deck they're not going to be able to come back do not underestimate the power of the minus card token i'm talking about relic and minion kind of in the same uh, vein even though it's not the same thing but it's a similar attack these are far more insidious than they look. It's not the same as just discarding a card, going down to a four-card hand. You don't get to choose uh, what card you discard. So you think about getting hit by Militia, which has you look at five cards and choose the best, of, uh, best three of them. You don't get that option when you're hit by Minion or Relic. So what happens is you don't get to choose which card you quote-unquote discarded and that can keep you from kicking off. It can also, in the case of Relic, slow down your cycling quite a bit. So usually, you want to be very careful about the minion attack and the Relic attack. They are pretty powerful. There's some really good Dominion players out there, but it's really hard to talk about Dominion. And one of the symptoms of this is the use of the word consistency. There's not really one solid definition out there, and I'm not going to pretend to have it. But I will tell you this. Most of the time when other people say the word consistency, they're talking about drawing your entire deck, where drawing anything other than every single card in your deck is a complete failure. 
I want to say that flooding your deck with treasures is a form of consistency. Silver and gold floods and big money can certainly help, but you know that can be hard to do. However, if you build a deck that draws itself and then use that one or two big turns to flood the deck with treasure, you have a consistent deck even though you're not drawing all of it. Maybe you can draw parts of the deck and still get turns bigger than a province. This is very, very good in a lot of situations and has been dismissed completely by a lot of players to their own detriment. Silver is a really good card, and Treasure Flood is great for consistency. So there's a cool little deck I've seen work really well in some situations based around Miser. So it's a pirate ship that attacks yourself, but the idea is you play one card, and it gives you $8, and you can buy a province. And if you can get that to happen fast enough, your deck will pretty much never stall. So I found that this is usually good when you can open with two Misers, which sure is a little bit rare, but like Alms or Baker or something out there can make that happen. Uh, the other the other situation is maybe there's some really strong trashing. Uh, you need to buy an extra copper to make this happen, but when that deck has the, the ability to tempo out getting enough coppers on the mat to, to get a province super fast, maybe by turn 10 or 11, one province per turn from that point can be very, very difficult to stop. And I've lost games with, with really strong decks just to a very consistent miser strat that was able to do this very fast. Don't ever sleep on a miser if he can get to 8 really fast. There's a myth out there that people play decks differently now than they did before, right when Dominion kind of started to come out, and that the reason for that is just because people sucked back then. Uh, but that's not true. Well, certainly, probably players have gotten better uh, over time as they've played more and learned more and discussed more, um, for instance, things such as this podcast. Uh, the card pool's also changed a lot, and it was just that... Um, the boards used to be a lot weaker than they are now. For one thing, you have events and you have, I guess, landmarks, but projects that strengthen things up, that makes things stronger. But also, a lot of the cards originally were quite weak overall. We're talking Chancellor, Thief, Scout level kinds of power levels. Those cards don't exist very much anymore. And so there's much more often that you have a more powerful deck possible now than you did before. Vineyard. So Vineyard can be worth a lot of points, but that's actually not the main reason that it can be so centralizing. Most of why it can be such a focus on your strategy it needs plus buy. So if you have plus buy, it is a very cheap card. It only uh, takes one treasure, so you can often get Vineyard plus something. The bigger deal, though, is that Vineyard decks have a lot of actions in them, which means you probably have a lot of capability, things like draw and pile control and cycling and uh, multiple gains. You think about other scaling VP, things like Silk Road, Gardens, and Phaedom, those tend to be a lot less flexible even when they are worth a lot of points. What that means for you is that if you are going for Vineyard and somebody else is going for Provinces, you can pivot and start contesting Provinces, but if they try to pivot and start contesting Vineyards, it's a lot less effective for them. And that's why Vineyard puts you in a position. People look at Monastery and they think it's a great card because it's a non-terminal trasher. And it is a non-terminal trasher and that can be really nice. But if you get it early, then it inhibits your ability to hit price points. And, well, that's not the greatest thing ever. It trashes very slowly also. So that's also not good. Now, if you can gain multiple cards per turn, then it obviously starts trashing a lot faster. But usually by the time you're gaining multiple cards per turn then you also have to line them up with the monastery also, so that's another knock against it. Usually by the time you're able to do that, the thinning is not that important. So if there's another trasher, you usually want to skip it. And if it's the only trasher, 
you might even consider skipping your trashing or your thinning on that board. Um, so in general, while it can be an okay card sometimes, it's mostly mediocre and I think quite an overrated thing. Idol. What I want to tell you about Idol is that it is either better than it looks or it is worse than it looks. So what I first want to say is that it is not really a good cursing attack. It's not a meaningful junking attack at all. It's both slow and if you're able to get these two expensive stop cards lined up in your hand consistently to junk your opponent, you probably have such a control advantage that you are winning that game anyway. But... It's actually pretty good payload. It's usually better than gold. I personally value a boon usually more than $1. Boons are fine to get for a 5-cost treasure card. Idol is a fine card. It, it's fine. Whenever gold is fine, idol is usually fine too. A lot of the times, it's better. I will usually buy idol over gold, at least the first few treasure times. Treasure Trove is a busted card. My most recent ratings gave the card a mean score of about 5 and uh, I gave this card an 8 out of 10. Uh, this can enable some money strategies to basically never stall out. Every time you play the card, you gain a gold and a copper. This is typically better than gaining two silvers, which I think is pretty clear to see is amazing for money decks. Why is this being underrated so much? Well, Treasure Trove doesn't fit that well into decks that like to draw a lot, just because you have to gain so many cards just to play this thing, and that's really hard to keep up with. Even though it can be good, it just tends to be too much, which is, uh, I guess, kind of insane in its own way, although maybe not in the best way. Um, maybe people just aren't good at playing money or don't respect money? Uh, money is busted with Treasure Trove, and you can win a lot of games just by putting one or two T-Troves in your deck if you just want to play money, even against really strong decks. My most recent card ratings, Training, got about a 6.5 average score. I gave this thing a 4. I think training is pretty overrated, and I don't, I don't understand why people would rate it so high, to be honest. I've never really seen people buy training to good effect. I think in the thousand or so games I've played, um, I mean, I've only bought training once and I was happy about it. Granted, it might not have appeared in all those games since Adventures came out, but I think the best case for training is you add some money payload to your deck that you don't have to draw. Okay, fine. But the problem is, if you're going to get a significant amount of money payload from trainings, you have to have a certain number of cards, uh, the same card, in your deck at that time. And if you're meeting that condition, a lot of times, maybe you either don't need the payload or it's time to green. I've just never found it to be useful, even though in theory it might seem like it is. Sorry. So the card Remake, it's a really powerful trasher, and I'm going to advocate that when you want to get one of them, which is pretty often, you usually also want to get a second one very early. Here's why. Best case scenario, the first time you uh, draw them, the first shuffle that you have both of them, they don't collide. You're thinning twice as quickly, and later on you remake the Remake uh, to get a 5 cost. That's great. Uh, second best case scenario, they do collide, and you are thinning one card slower because they collided, but you get the five earlier. You'd prefer the first situation, but either one of those situations is pretty good for you. Now, the big thing that I want you to take away from this is that I'm talking specifically about Remake, but in general, don't be afraid to get another copy of your Trasher or another Trasher in addition. A lot of the time, that extra thinning can speed you up enough to justify it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Remake is actually an overrated card. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really good. 
Um, any card really that you can open with the trashes, multiple cards, is typically very good. And remake is there for you. Turning estates into silvers is like super nice. Also, uh, if there's another three, that's even better. So much the better. But on the other hand, like that's all it does. Um, you can sometimes go good card into better card, but basically what I'm saying here is if there's another good trasher, then I might think about skipping the remake. Now, obviously it needs to be a good trasher, and what constitutes good, that varies a lot, but other trashers that trash multiple cards per turn, or the cantrip trashers like Sentry, Junk Dealer, Upgrade, uh, I would consider, at least consider, uh, going for them in lieu of remake on many boards. There's this perception that Guide is like a do-nothing bad card. Guide is a really good card! So first of all, it protects you if you're drawing to draw your deck. It protects you against duds. One or two guides, uh, you know, you're going to have... If you have two guides, let's say, you're protected against a dud in one turn. And then if you have to use the guide, then you're likely to be able to be protected the next turn because you're going to be able to draw the one, you know, every other turn. So two guides gets you there. If you're not trying to draw your deck, though, it can actually just kind of cycle you through to having the good hands. Uh, if you're in a money deck, there's often some reasonably high variability, and um, Guide helps you deal with that, and it's really good. And at a certain point, it's often better than the marginal effect of getting another silver, which is nice, but Guide can have a, a an even bigger effect in cycling you to your important cards. Also, Travelers, Junkers, Thinners, all that stuff. Guide is great. I said this many times before I wrote an article on it, but I think this is a really important point. Simulation is very, very dangerous in Dominion. It's easy to take conclusions from simulation results and just run with those conclusions. The main problem with simulation is that it only could be enlightening for very simple strategies. You just can't be confident that a bot is going to play a very good game of Dominion. And without knowing that they're going to play well and react to what's happening and understand what their opponent's doing, what that bot is telling you is worthless and needs to be thrown out the window bots are usually only good for simulating big money or telling you like how many turns to certain provinces on average you can expect i think that's the use case and anything else that comes from simulation anything else at all results just need to be completely ignored i just want to say i was wrong about what it does not matter I am wrong about things sometimes, but here is the secret. So is everyone else, and I do mean everyone. No matter how good they are, no matter what kind of authority they're appealing to, they're going to be wrong about things sometimes. So what do you take from this as somebody who is uh, consuming content and trying to get better? Basically, you need to keep an open mind. Be receptive to these ideas that you're being exposed to, but also keep a critical ear. Healthy skepticism will be an asset for your development unparalleled by any other. We're glad you're enjoying Making Luck, but definitely make sure you're also reading widely. Check out Dominion Homework, the videos RTT and Wandering Winter do. Check out the Dominion Strategy blog. Make sure you are uh, keeping your mind and your reading and your play open. My Time mommy always told me that I was a very abolished. special person. Basically, there's and a few things. I'm very One, how different. Many times I'm a special snowflake. Uh, I don't drink alcohol because I don't like nine. it. 
I'm eight not central afraid to stand up for things I believe in, you know, whatever. when I believe this gets integrity said all is the on time. the line. That's just two but time zones. Like, these are broadcast to America. Um, America like has four heavily popular well time zones and a now number might of say, other Adam, time zones. you just zones. never had a good so, steak before. Like, not true. First of all, My wife loves hello. her steak a good Second of all, rare. yeah, it only takes like an extra half a second to say it. How many times have you heard it? It's so many. The bigger deal, though, is if you're trying to go international overseas and trying to... Uh, there are well-done steaks really that are still moist and delicious. Tricky. I'm not going to eat a filet mignon well done. I understand that defeats the purpose. We just had one but I prefer time, my steak cooked that way. I don't have a problem with you and yeah, eating you'd your have steak to make a different way. So it's okay for me to have my steak well done. It doesn't hurt you at all. All right, so I hope you enjoyed all of those takes. There were 55 of them, and that last one was a doozy. What do you think? I think I had a great point there, though. Don't you? I mean, I believe you. My point was superior, but um. But other than that, sure, yeah. that doesn't mean that yours was wrong. Yeah. It's not like they diametrically opposed each other. We would never do that. Never. No, That's not a thing I... that happens. Yeah, I disagreed with Adam one time, and uh, didn't go I thought well. I was wrong <laughs> once, but I was mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we have another kingdom for you. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to put just like all five costs in the kingdom, and that got vetoed, and I'm a little salty about that. So instead, we have this hot garbage. I'll go ahead and read the cards. <laughs> we have Patrician with Emporium, Caravan, Wandering Minstrel, Bridge Troll, Contraband, Mystic, Rebuild, Scholar, Tactician, Forge, and we have Pageant, Citadel, and there's Platinum and Colony on this board. One more time for our audio-only listeners. Patrician with Emporium. Caravan. Wandering Winder. Bridge Troll. Contraband. Mystic. Rebuild. Scholar. Tactician. Forge. And there's Pageant and Citadel. And we have Platinum and Colony this time. So, what do we think? I think it's going to be a bridge so, troll mega turn. There's a question that you need to answer right at the start of this kingdom. And like any time that you see rebuild in a kingdom, the first question is, am I going for rebuild or not? Or am I, am I going for rebuild or am I going to be doing something else? Cause usually uh, these other strategies, these other things you'd be doing don't like really get value out of just putting or adding a rebuild. So it's like, am I going for the rebuild yeah. deck as my win condition or am I going to be trying to do something that either outpaces rebuild or shuts down rebuild or something like that? So, yeah, uh, I think such that... an interactive card, and it's so good for the game. I'm so glad. Yeah. So, uh, Wandering Winter, you said that you're going to be not going for rebuild. You're going to be going for bridge trolls, right? Yeah. What, what does that look like? So, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think what it looks like is uh, you want to get a tactician, you want to get a forge. You thin down, you start picking up bridge trolls. You do a double tactician thing. You get some bridge trolls, okay. some, probably some wandering minstrels because you need a village. Uh, well, it's also really good for the deck. Yes. I mean, after you forge down, it's whatever. It's mostly just a village, but yes. Um, that is the cheap. Yes, you're going to start getting them sooner than that so that you can find your key cards faster. Maybe you do a thing. If you need a little bit of money, you could get a mystic or two. Um, that works well with the Wandering Minstrel. Um, maybe you get some caravans. I'm not exactly sure. 
Um, pageant is probably something you'll find a way to fit in at some point. Citadel is, you know, it draws you an extra card or something. Um, what would you open Trishikori, with? Whatever. Uh, what do I open with? I probably open Pageant Silver. On a 4-3? What about a 3-4? Pageant or, Silver. Sorry, I mean, that's a 3-4. What do you do on a 4-3? Pageant Silver. It doesn't oh. matter. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can use Pageant the turn you play it. Nice. Uh, um, do, you, do you really think you're going to get silver. Citadel here? I probably not, actually, if I'm going for that. Okay. Um, I have to look because you do need – so part of the reason I don't want to go for rebuild is it's a colony board. And so – but to get to a lot of colonies, you're going to need to do something to get money because just either you need like 10 bridge trolls and then some money because you can only get them down to one um, or – I don't know. There's there's a few things you can do in a mirror or something. It's going to end well, up provinces probably or three piles. I but mean, if your opponent, yeah, sorry. If your opponent isn't mirroring you, then you're going to need a lot of bridge trolls, and that's going to be some pile out stuff. But bridge trolls help you get more bridge trolls. And I don't know. Um, do I actually get citadel? I don't know. Um, it's not like the hugest priority, but if I end up with enough money in my deck that I can make eight. I would like it. Um, you really need to worry about bridge trolls not be, having a harder time getting colonies. Like the colonies are going to be there, and like you might get some, but the bridge trolls are probably going to empty provinces first. Well, I mean, it depends. If my opponent's going for rebuilds and they're trying yeah. to empty provinces, then there might not be enough left, and I might need to get colonies. Well, right, but the same thing might happen to them. Like, if you get your mega turn online to the point, like, before their rebuildness has kind of worked out, I mean, admittedly, that's a little more of a stretch, but, you know, if you have enough of a point lead because you got, like, a colony at some point, then you might be emptying the provinces on them, and that but, might be... Yeah, but I guess, I guess my point is, if I'm playing this deck where I'm going double tactician and then forging down and then just getting a bunch of bridge trolls, how am I ever affording a colony? I mean, I, I guess you have to get Mystic, right? So I feel yeah. like if you're if you're playing Bridge Troll and you're going to empty provinces, then you've you've won the game, right? If you're able to do that, I then think, you can do whatever you want and win the game. Yeah. If you're playing against I rebuild. think I think in in realistic terms, though, I'm probably getting one Mystic, and then I have this pageant thing going on, and so maybe I got a second Mystic at some point. But I'm I'm like gaining coffers for a while off the pageant. And I have a little bit bit of money on my Mystic, and then I'm spending them all at the end. What I'm advocating here, I mean, I'm not saying that the bridge troll strategy is doing so well that it like gets a bunch of it gets like almost all the provinces before rebuild gets up and running. I'm talking about the bridge troll thing, uh, working to get a few bridge trolls in play, have enough payload to get like a colony or two, or build enough to the point that. The rebuild in the meantime is lowering provinces, and you have enough of a point lead that you threaten to empty the provinces on them, not the if other you, way around. If you ever have a point lead and you're playing against rebuild, you've already it's won, and you can do basically you over. Want. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, but I think what Jake is talking about is you get the last like two or three provinces, and on yes. the same turn, score enough to win. 
that's fine. Uh, I think if you're having that turn and the game's not over, you're going to win no matter what you do. So yes, anyway, none of this really matters. I, I think so the, the rebuild strategy, I would say that looks like you aim to focus down provinces and end the game as quickly as possible. And I'm assuming your opponent is playing for bridge troll. Cause that's like the other good thing here. Yeah. So that's just, um, I mean, you're probably, I guess you're going to open pageant silver. I don't think you want to get a caravan or anything. And I don't think you really want wandering missiles in that deck. So yeah, you're going to open pageant silver. You're going to get like three or four rebuilds and you're just going to go to town, man. So, I mean... um, what what do I think is better? I think rebuild can compete here. I think rebuild strong enough. It's not a, it's not going to lose like all the games, right? I don't think it's clearly worse than the bridge troll. I think I, I think, think it's, it's actually okay. I, I think it's okay. The other thing I, the bridge so, the other thing that the bridge troll player can do is once they start getting extra buys and with a couple bridge trolls in play, they can start buying patricians, which won't do anything, but. They're eventually going to be able to score like ten points off emporiums, right? Um, I don't think that matters. Not, I think that will matter uh, more than because you think. rebuilds point ceiling is super low already. So like any well, point it's not source that that's low. not well any. I mean, it's pretty low. So any point source that doesn't deplete the piles is a big threat. And There's the thing is that colony. rebuilds big. I mean, yeah, it re, it, colony as well. Re, colony on top of that, rebuilds I, I think... big. Like positioning threat is that it is taking points out of the supply, so that to try to catch up to it, you have to compete for this dwindling source of points already. So there aren't enough points to catch up. But that's not going to happen because there are colonies. Like the rebuild mm. player can rush, but it doesn't have the flexibility to really lock you out of the I game think... like it. Okay, I think it's more flexible than you think, Jake. And I think that there will be more play to this game than the vast majority of people would think. In the matchup between Bridge Troll and Rebuild, there will be a lot going on depending on where both players can adapt their strategy to what the other player is doing, which is not something that you think about a lot when you talk about Rebuild, but I really think you can do that here, Jake. A lot less power to adapt than the bridge troll player does. I think that there's going to be a lot of counterplay, but the bridge troll player is going to be controlling like all of it. Okay. So I've heard your take on rebuild Jake and you haven't heard mine. I'm saying exactly the opposite of what you're saying. And I think the big thing with rebuild is people don't play non mirrors very well. If you're playing rebuild and the other guy's playing something else, your game plan is to end the game as quickly as possible. That is the only thing that matters. So the the fact is, on this board is yes there are other sources of vp so instead of having seven or eight seven or six provinces out of the supply to end the game yes i need eight so the the fact that colony is a source of vp and maybe emporium which doesn't matter because colony is there is a source of vp it, it just means that i need to empty eight provinces before bridge troll has their big turn that's that's the calculation I'm making when I'm deciding, do I want to go for rebuild here? Do I want to go for bridge troll? How fast can rebuild empty eight provinces versus how soon can I bridge troll have that big turn? Yeah. Well, and I, I agree with all of your points there, Adam, because you're right and Jake is wrong. But um, <laughs> except that on this board, I think that the bridge troll thing is fast enough. And I think that the Emporium points are relevant. Okay, well, uh, I mean, maybe rebuild is too slow. 
maybe I'm not right think, about that on this particular board. I think that's the big thing on this particular board. But uh, I also my, think there's more play to it, Jake, than uh, you're giving credit for. So there's there's definitely going to be more play in a non-mirror. That's usually always that's true, true for almost any non-mirror. Yeah. So well, uh, I mean. My read is that rebuild is fast enough to win Mm -hmm. a decent portion of the games. So uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. And uh, we're going to spend some time between this and the next episode uh, figuring that out, playing some games, and uh, the usual thing. Also, let us know what you think. Uh, You can head on over to adamhorton.com, and you can find links to all of the places where you can get in touch with us. Let us know how wrong I am or how wrong we all are. I'd certainly like to hear about it. Hot takes with club sus. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like we made it. What if instead of a podcast this time? We did a bunch of little podcasts, and we sewed them all together like some sort of horrifying flesh monster. But instead of flesh, it's Dominion strategy content. You know, I was watching this video the other day. It was interesting that you bring up sewing that makes it interesting, right? Yeah, that's usually where we go with that. So they were talking about um, fluid dynamics, non-Newtonian fluids. And yeah, I was just talking about those the other day, way. too. They're developing this way where they're sewing some like new non-Newtonian fluids they've developed into fabric What's that? to be new this new kind of bulletproof vest. That's I heard older, about this. Bulkier. Wait, what's a what's a non-Newtonian fluid? It's a fluid that's not Newtonian.